DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Andy Bailey, who covers the NBA for Bleacher Report and Utah Jazz for Forbes.com. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Andy, good morning. Morning. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. I wonder if you are, though. Did you spend the whole 4th of July wondering what Kawhi's going to do and just wreck the whole day? Um, a, a little bit. It, it wasn't actually as crazy as the last couple fourths that we've had, and, and maybe it's because there was so much that happened in those first couple of days. Um, and I think somebody, I don't even remember who it was. Now there's so many conflicting reports at this point, but somebody said basically it's going to be a couple more days, enjoy your fourth, and, and I kind of took that. And I, maybe I shouldn't have trusted that, but I did. <laughs> so setting aside the Kawhi Leonard thing for a second here, you talk about the crazy couple of days. I don't know that we've really ever seen anything like it. And if you go that first day, really, back to sun last Sunday a week ago, what really caught your eye as far as surprises? Well, um, first of all, I agree. I don't think I've seen anything like that in, in my time covering the NBA. I've been doing this for about 10 years now. Um, it, it was it was wild. Uh, so many so many moves announced. Even there was a couple on the day before Sunday. I think the Kemba Walker news broke on Saturday. Um, I feel like there was maybe a couple others that were Saturday. But anyway... Surprises, Terry Rozier getting $58 million for three years is still my eyes um, kind of bug out just saying that now. Um, that, that seemed like a massive overpay to me, and I've, I've looked a little bit at their roster since then, and they are going to have a really tough time scoring <laughs> next season. I, I, offensive rating is, is points scored per 100 possessions, and their offensive rating was something like – six or seven points better with Kemba on the floor last season, which put him in like the 90th percentile. And um, Terry Rozier was in the 11th percentile for that stat last season. So they are in trouble offensively. Um, I think the Al Horford deal was certainly surprising. I mean, there was rumblings that maybe it was um, New Orleans, Dallas. I even heard a couple people say they thought it might've been Sacramento. Um, I, I just don't think any of us assumed that Philadelphia could even pull that off because of their cap situation, but they got Al Horford and the fit there is a little bit wonky to me, but I think, I think that's a pretty good move. I, I think he can play the four. He did that with Baines in, in Boston for a little bit. So those are the two that really jump off the top of my head. But like you said, it was, it was a roller coaster couple of days. I mean, it was just constant updates, um, Saturday and Sunday. It was, it was wild. Rozier, Rozier, that is big money. Uh, Ricky Rubio got three years and fifty-one million. That shocked yeah. me. I thought twenty-five that, or thirty million. I mean, ten million a year because he's going to start. Okay, but seventeen. That's a good point. I, I actually uh, the other day I was kind of just scanning all the <laughs> carnage and, and looking at the contracts that were signed, and his is not that much smaller. Uh, than Rozier's. I, too, thought he would probably be in that nine ten million range. I thought he might even go for the mid-level exception, which is, is going to be around $9 million this year. Um, for him to get double that was very surprising to me. I know Phoenix was desperate for a point guard and have been for a while. Um, I, I've never really understood that because Devin Booker 
ran so much of their offense last season anyway. I, I felt like he was sort of a de facto point guard, and in my mind, the best way to do that is have him out there with a bunch of positionless six, seven, six, eight guys, which they actually kind of had. Uh, Michael Bridges, T.J. Warren, Josh Jackson, who they just shipped out. Um, that that to me made the most sense for them, and and I, I hope Rip Rubio does well there. But that that did surprise me a little bit too. Tell me if you buy this statement right now. As the Jazz roster as it stands, they have the roster has no flaws. I'm not saying it's the best roster and it's going to go all the way, but I'm just looking at it position by position, and it seemed like they've got all their bases covered. Yeah, I think all the bases covered is a good way to put it. Um, maybe not covered perfectly, but but they are covered. I I think just about anybody would have gone into this offseason thinking the Jazz need a point guard. Um, they might want to upgrade that stretch four position, and and they did both of those things. Um, and then they even they even checked a couple more boxes that that crept up as they made moves. So they trade for Mike Conley, and there's the point guard upgrade. But it cost them Jay Crowder, who was their their solid stretch four the last couple of years. Uh, and then they addressed that need with Boyan Bogdanovich, and all of a sudden there goes your backup center and Derek Favors. And then they addressed that with that Davis. So it was just like. One move after another, it, 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 it was like a dream offseason for the Jazz. I think it's, you know, a lot of people have pointed back to the Carlos Boozer year, and that's maybe still the best individual free agent they've signed. But in terms of, you know, the totality of the offseason, this has got to be the best one the Jazz have ever had. They, they hit every single need they had, and I think they, they did it well with each one of these. I, I'm really interested to see what those Conley, Mitchell, Ingles, Bogdanovich, Gobert lineups look like. I, I think that's this, that's so much more offense than Quinn Snyder's ever had to work with in Utah. And I think, you know, a lot of people have said they sacrificed a lot of the defense, and that's probably true to an extent. But I think as long as you've got Rudy Gobert on the floor, you, you probably have a top four or five defense. He's just that impactful defensively. So I think I think they have a chance to be very, very good. Again, they just they just hit every single need they had, and not a lot of teams can pull that off in one summer. It's good to have a complete team, but when you get really deep in the playoffs, who the star is, do you have the biggest star? That often matters a lot. Do you think Donovan Mitchell's ready to take a big step forward here and be one of the top 15, 10 players in the game? Because usually you know, you, you need one of the top five, really, to get to an NBA final and win a championship. And we're starting to see some people pick the Jazz to go to the Western Conference Finals or maybe even the NBA Finals. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, a lot of their ceiling still depends on how high Donovan Mitchell can rise. Um, and I think if you just focus in on – there were there some uh, rumblings that he had a toe injury at the beginning of last season, and maybe that's why he started off full. If you just sort of zero in on January 1st to the end of the season, he had numbers that looked very much like a top 10 to 15 player. I think it was something like 27, 28 points, five rebounds, five assists a game. I mean, that's, that's a ridiculous stat line. Um, and he he may not even have to do that this season. I was thinking right. the other day that that they're coming off, or they now have three guys who are coming off seasons in which they scored 20 points a game. So who knows if Mitchell even needs to be in the high 20s. Maybe he's low 20s now, but he's, he's a lot more efficient, and I think that helps them as well. Uh, the other thing about this discussion is I still think a lot of people don't quite um, understand how impactful Rudy Gobert is. 
there were a few of those sort of catch-all numbers like real plus minus and player impact plus minus and, and all the other ones, box plus minus, all, all these different numbers. Um, peg Rudy Gobert as that top five to ten player already. I just think that we have become so conditioned to see superstar and attach it to offense rather than defense. And I've made this analogy a bunch of times. Um, I maybe, maybe even made it on this program, but Stephen Curry – uh, you put him on just about any team in the league, and I think they have a top-five offense. I, I'm not sure it matters that much who his supporting cast is. He's that good offensively. I think you can say probably the same thing with Rudy Gobert in defense. Uh, and he, he is a defense unto himself. As long as he's on the floor, they're going to be good defensively. And now they've suddenly surrounded him with a bunch of offense for the first time really in his career. So I think it'll be really, really interesting to see how that works. I don't think the defense drops off quite as far as some people are forecasting. Um, and if Conley replicates what he did last year, Bogdanovich is close to what he was last year, and Mitchell takes a little step forward, this is a very, very good team. So can I also argue that Gobert's offense now with the better spacing on the floor, with the more uh, they've upgraded their shooting, obviously, so with that spacing, because of you have to account for covering more guys, that in turn that can directly lead to maybe some more offense out of Gobert? No question. And that's another part of him that I think is underrated is what he does offensively. Um, you know, the, the common criticism of him is, oh, he just dunks. He doesn't create, a show, he doesn't create his own shots. Um, I think any team in the league would take a guy who takes 10 or 11 scoring opportunities and has a true shooting percentage that's, you know, 10 to 15 points above league average. Um, <laughs> that's a significant chunk of offense, and it's done very, very efficiently. And at, at one point this year, I, can't, I won't be able to remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I looked up unassisted field goals. And he actually averaged more unassisted points per game than Clay Thompson did last season. There is a form of creating your own shot that people don't talk about, and it's offensive rebounds. And Gobert gets a ton of those, and he gets a ton of putbacks. That's a, that's a form of creating your own shot. And he may be able to get more of those with the spacing that you just described. If, if Utah has four guys that command attention at the three-point line, and suddenly it's Rudy Gobert one-on-one with somebody under the rim for the offensive rebound, he's going to get a bunch of those, and he's going to dunk a lot of them back in. So his offense should be stellar again, and and like you said, that could even take a step forward. So there's all kinds of positive signs from this offseason, and that's certainly one of them. So some of the other teams that were in front of the Jazz a year ago, Houston, Denver, Portland, who got better, who got worse, and who's about the same? I think Denver will get better just by virtue of sort of internal development. Um, I think Jokic may have sort of discovered something in himself during the playoffs. The numbers that he put up were just absurd. I think it was something like 25 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists, something like that. And I, I, you know, putting up those numbers for an entire season is probably not going to happen, but I think he saw that he can really dominate. Um, And I think if Gary Harris is healthy, he'll be better. Uh, Jamal Murray should probably take a step forward. So I think they got better. Um, but maybe not a huge step forward because, you know, in the long run, it is still the same roster pretty much. Um, Houston is a giant question mark to me. Uh, I think they're probably still sort of stealthily calling around the league to see if anybody will take on that Chris Paul contract. Um, They may just be stuck with it because when I look around the league, I just, I can't see many teams that would be willing to foot that bill. I mean, it's, it's one of the most cumbersome deals in the NBA at this point. Um, but if, if their chemistry is okay, you, you would think they'd probably still be at the top of the West again. But 
who knows what's true and what isn't with that team. There was the Vince Goodwill report from Yahoo that made it sound like the sky was falling in Houston, and then Daryl Morey very vehemently uh, refuted that report, which is what you would expect from the general manager. Um, but they're, they're kind of a question mark to me just because it, they're all over the place, um, Tennessee-wise. And then Portland, I actually think they probably took a slight step back. Uh, they, they lost some forwards that have been pretty effective for them over the last couple of years in Harkless and Aminu, and Nurkic not being back for the start of the season is going to hurt them. I, I think Whiteside will be okay there, but he's he's not as good as Nurkic is at this point. So they, they're they the one team that I think I can point to and say they got a little bit worse. Um, but even after I you know go through all three of those teams, I think the step forward that Utah took, um, they could overtake all three of them. I, and, and a lot of people are still pointing to the Lakers as sort of the, they're going to be number one, especially if they get Kawhi. Um, I, I think Utah will have a chance to win the West regardless of what happens for the rest of the off seasons. So going forward, when you speak of what might happen in the rest of the off season, you know, we already heard about the Houston thing where Morey, whether he deflects the chemistry issue had come out and said that our roster is available. And then you've got, not quite the same, but close to it in Oklahoma City, where I think they basically said everybody's available. I'm paraphrasing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, everybody's available outside of George and Westbrook. And so, you know, we haven't really seen we've seen a bunch of free agent moves and whatnot. And we've seen some some trades, but going forward here, since you've got a couple of teams that have some pretty good players, as Stephen Adams and Capella and some other guys that could potentially be available. Do you think that we'll see some more fireworks before this thing gets starts gets started in the fall? Yeah, I definitely think there's a chance um, some guys could still move. Like you said, Adam's name has been out there. Uh, I think Kevin Love is probably available, despite what what reports are coming out of Cleveland. Um, I don't. This this won't happen in the summer because he's got to wait. They got to wait till December fifteenth to trade him. But I think the D'Angelo Russell stuff is interesting. Um, that maybe Golden State just acquired him to be able to flip him later for a, a, a three-four type of a guy. Um, there, there are definitely still some names out there that might be moved. Chris Paul, like I said, he he's being shopped. Um, you mentioned Oklahoma City, and that's that's another team that could be um, back this season. I, I actually was working on an article for Bleacher Report this week where I ranked everybody's new starting fives and some of them are the same, but they're mostly new starting fives and Oklahoma city um, by wins above replacement player projections from 538 or like they were like number three, uh, which was surprising to me. And I think what's happening there is they are forecasting a big bounce back from Russell Westbrook, which I'm just not 538 projections are purely mathematical. Um, and I think if there was a little bit of eye test thrown in there, you might think Westbrook at his age with all the surgeries he's had to forecast as that big of a bounce back is probably a little bit of a stretch, but that's another team that could be really, really tough. Even, even with the Warriors decimated the way they were in the finals in this summer, the West is going to be every bit as wild as it's been for the last few years. And maybe even more so because we don't have that sort of um, given at the top in the Warriors. And now there's, probably four or five teams that we could make a reasonable argument to say that's a title contender. It, it's going to be a crazy season. 
So how far are the Warriors going to fall? And as they slip a little bit, what are the odds that they decide not to put a lot of minutes on Draymond Green and Steph Curry's legs and they uh, they go full Popovich and just rest those guys? Yeah, I think that's very much uh, a possibility. Uh, I We saw what they looked like against the Raptors, and the Raptors are a very good team. Um, but when it was just Curry – and Draymond, it, it was pretty tough to watch. Um, and it's going to be that for a lot of next season. Now, I know they just got D'Angelo Russell, and I am very curious to see how they make that dynamic work between him and Curry. But I, I just don't think that roster's near as complete as some of the other ones in the West right now. And so maybe if they – I still think they'll be good, and they'll probably be comfortably over 500. But maybe we get to around the All-Star break, and they're – in sixth or seventh place in the West, and they're probably going to have to start thinking about that rest thing that you just mentioned. Um, because by the time Clay Thompson gets back, I, I think Stephen Curry's going into his age 31 or 32 season, something like that. Um, Draymond's a guy who could slip here in the next couple of years. Like, <laughs> it's so interesting in the NBA, two or three years ago, we thought the Warriors were going to be competing for titles for the foreseeable future. Um, and as has been the case many times in the past, it's just suddenly stopped. Uh, these, these dynasties are very, very fickle things. And with Durant gone and Clay Thompson out for a year, uh, I don't think it's crazy to say by the time Clay comes back, who knows if they're contenders? Like the, the, the door may have completely slammed shut on the Warriors this summer. It was a, it was a ridiculous five year run that they had, but, uh, it might just be over. Will Kyrie Irving find happiness in Brooklyn? Um, I don't know. He, he He's such a tough guy to read. Um, the, the thing that a lot of people have pointed out that I think is true is he's walking into a very, very similar situation there to what he had in Boston. Um, maybe he'll be happier because he's in New York. It seems like he was, he was intent on getting to New York. But roster-wise, at least for this season, it's Kyrie Irving and a bunch of young guys. And I think if he tries the same sort of leadership, if we can even use that word, uh, if he uses those same leadership tactics in Brooklyn that he did in Boston, it could turn a lot of those guys off. Um, I, I think the Nets have to do what they did this summer as soon as it becomes an opportunity. I mean, you don't pass on the chance to sign Kyrie and Kevin Durant, but um, it's it's not a, a path that is without risk. Uh, this season they won't have Durant. It's going to be Kyrie and a bunch of young guys, which we just saw for the last two years. Then Durant comes back, and we don't know exactly what he's going to look like coming off a ruptured Achilles. He's already in his 30s, um, and, and that injury obviously does not have a very favorable track record. And then you've got a couple of years before his player option kicks in. So it, they, they could be on a smaller window than people realize, too. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not, again, it's, it's not a path that's without risk. I, I understand why they did it. I don't think any team could pass on that opportunity. Um, but it's not a, a given that they're going to be a title contender to me. Andy, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us and uh, breaking down the NBA and how this is all going to play out. It sounds like an awesome horse race right now, just wide open. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Thanks for having me, guys.